pop, pop, pop. I mean, that's what was heard in the East Coast this past week. And I was watching the video of it, another sh- shooting in, um, out, out East. And just you heard the pop, pop, pop. And there's a massive crowd of people. And everybody just starts running away. But if you watch the video, maybe you saw it too. Um, I noticed as the shooting happened and people were screaming and running, there was one person in the middle of the screen that just didn't move until about two seconds after everybody else moved. The, the, the alarm had gone off, the popping of the guns, people screaming, everybody else is running. But for some reason, that person froze. They missed the alarm, they didn't understand what was going on, and it d- took them a while to take off running as well. When I saw it, it stood out to me, and I kept watching it over and over, and sure enough, everybody else was running. They missed the alarm. They missed the popping. They missed the screaming. They missed the alert. Hosea has been prophesying to the people of God for many, many years. And they had been running from God. God had been alerting them. He had been warning them. He had been telling them what was going to happen. He told Hosea. He gave them a picture of Hosea's wife and his marriage. And the people still did not get it. And Hosea 8 through 10 is God saying, here, I've given you the alarms, here, here's what's going to happen. And he says at the beginning, set the trumpet to your lips. He alerted them. Their sin was going to bring the judgment of God upon them. The whole Bible is an alarm. The whole Bible is an alert about what sin is going to do, what sin does to us. This is, this is the alert, that the alarm, it's the popping. This is what happens. And, and sin, which nobody often likes to talk about, the, the attitude that many people have towards sin is that to talk about sin today, it's not a favorable thing. We don't even want to mention the word sin. It sounds churchy. Uh, there was an article in the Chicago Tribune in February of this year talking called the, um, the Sin of America. And as they were talking about it, they said, nobody wants to use the word sin. It sounds churchy. If you say sin, it sounds unhelpfully judgmental or very conservative. But the article in the Chicago Tribune was going on to say, maybe we need to go back and look at the doctrine of sin as we think about what's going on, even in our own country. We need to revisit the understanding and dynamics of sin it might be helpful. And that's what Hosea is doing. He has been warning the people about their sin. And because of their sin, God's going to bring his judgment. This is the alert that we need to be warned of. What, what is sin? Sin involves not only a lack of righteousness, but also just this inclination towards unrighteousness, which we all have, which leads to an enmity against a holy, righteous, infinitely good God. It's, we are born sinners. Nobody has to teach us how to sin. We naturally have this lack of righteousness where we miss the mark and then we actively are inclined to do the things that God says not to do. This was what the people of Israel were doing. Their attitude about it was they didn't care about the alarms. They didn't hear the alarms. They weren't worried about it. They resisted it. But we all need to listen to the alarm again. Even as Christians, as the people of God, we need to be reminded of what sin is, how sin affects us, and that sin brings 
judgment, we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have missed the mark. It's not something we like to talk about. We've been to two graduation parties the last two weekends. We didn't sit around and discuss our sin naturally. It just doesn't come out. We always talk more highly of ourselves than we want to or should. It's not a concept that we think much about. But even as people who are regularly gathering for church this morning, you know your heart. You know your status with sin. You, you know where your struggle with it. And the question is with Hosea, this was, he was calling out the people of God with, with an alarm to them. Think about this. Watch your sin. Your sin brings judgment. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man or woman on earth who does good and never sins. Rosera Butterfield said this about sin. Sin is our first language. Because of this, we need additional help to see it, hate it, repent of it, fight it, and flee from it. Indeed, the Christian's daily task is to hate your sin without hating yourself and drive a hundred fresh nails into your indwelling sin every day. This is what God was calling Hosea to, to say to the people of God, listen, your sin is going to cause judgment. I've been warning you for years, but here's the judgments that's going to come. And as we go through these three chapters to see what he was saying, we're going to look at what God says to us and reminds our, remind us about what sin does to us, what it did to the people of God. It says in verse 1, set the trumpet to your lips, sound the alarm. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord. A, a vulture is a predator. He's a animal of prey. It also could be an idea of an eagle. A vulture, an eagle could be used, which was eagle was the symbol of Assyria. It also could be God hovering over them saying, listen, I've warned you. I told you that if you continue down the path you're going, judgment's coming. Well, now judgment is coming. So set the alarm. Listen to the alarm. Sin deceives you. This is what sin does. Sin deceives you personally. It can deceive a church corporately, and it can deceive a nation naturally. Sin is deceptive. He says it's like there's a vulture over the house of the people of God, and this is what sin does. What sin does to us is sin deceives you. And the way it deceives you, in 2 through 3, it says this, the people of God said this, to, to, to me they cry. God says there's a vulture over the nation of Israel. There's judgment coming, and the people's response to that was, to me they cry, my God, we Israel know you. Israel has spurned the good, the enemy shall pursue you. The way that sin deceives you, the way the sin deceives me, is it dilutes the truth. This is what the people of God did. They said, they said, hey, we're Israel. We know God. We've been doing all the things he's asked us to do. We follow his rituals and we follow his ways. And God said to them, you are, you are deluded. Because your hearts are so far from me. Sin is like a parasite of the good, someone said. It feeds off what God created. The sin, it, and because of that, the people of Israel, they had spurned the good, and the enemy shall pursue them. Sin dilutes the truth, and it tries to deceive you. So people will say, well, I'm really not that bad. I don't really sin as bad as I used to, so I don't need to really deal with sin now or worry too much about sin. First John 2.4 says, Whoever says, I know him, 
but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And the nation of Israel is saying, we, we know God. Well, we are the nation of Israel. We know him. And God says, no, you, you don't know me. You, you, are at, you have been deluded. The truth is deluded. You are far from me. Your hearts are very far from me. This is what sin does. It starts to deceive you. It just starts to dilute the truth. Sin also denies reality. It says they make, verse 4, they made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew them not. Then they started to make idols out of silver, and it was just the craftsmen. They started worshiping these false idols and these false gods, and so they would they'd go and they want a king. They needed somebody in power. They'd set up another king. During Hosea's prophecy, his time of his prophecy, there was about six different kings in the nation of Israel that had been would rise up, and there would be a coup. One would get killed, and there were another one they would set up, and another one would set up. And they thought they were just doing God's will. They thought they were being the people of God, but they were actually denying reality. God said they should not worship anything but me. And they created false idols. And God said they were going to be just destroyed. This is what sin does. It deceives you by it dilutes the truth about who God is and what God asks of you. Sin denies reality where we can say, well, it's not, I, I, it's not so bad. We're still doing certain things. And sin draws away from security. Verse 8 says, because of all these things the nation of Israel had done, they, they, he says Israel is swallowed up. They already are among the nations as a useless vessel. They've gone to Assyria. They, they saw the vultures coming. They, they thought that they could make some political allies, defend themselves. And God says, judgment is coming. You're going to be wiped out. They, they thought they could create their own security. This is what sin does. Sin, sin deceives you about truth, it dilutes it, it denies reality, it draws you away, giving you a false security. Thinking, oh, I have God's not done anything to me yet. I can just keep going. What's it matter? I can live like I want through the week, as long as I show up at church on Sunday, maybe help out at a few things at the church. I'm a good person. Things are great. But deep down, even as a Christian, sin is just growing as a parasite in your life. The Bible talks about it in Hosea many times as stumbling. It's, that's what the people were doing. They were practicing the faith outwardly, but their hearts and lives did not match it, and they didn't care. And God saw the heart, and he said the judgment is coming. If you read Hosea 8, there's two things you could at least notice. When there was an amazing lack of discernment among these people, these, these people of God, they thought they could just figure everything out themselves. And same with us, with all the concerns, with issues culturally, nationally, politically. Where are you putting your trust? Is your trust in a political group? If this group gets into power, we're going to be okay. If this person, a politician, if he, if he gets in power, gets back in power, things are really going to be okay again. Or your personal finances, 
Uh, we'll make it through this struggle because we've, we've saved really well. We, we handled things well, so we're going to make it. Or your own strength mentally. If I, I can figure this out. I'm a worldly wise person. I can handle people. I got, I got personality, so I can deal with things. Or is your trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Where, where is your trust? The people of God thought that they were following God. They were, thought they were, they were doing all the things outwardly. They were doing all the things. But God says, your hearts are so far away from me, the judgment is coming. You've been deceived by sin. It's, it's diluted truth. It's denied reality. And it draws true security away from you. And the way you can know it in your own life is just your dependence on self. If you read Hosea 8, never in any of those times do you see the people of God. They need a king, and, and back in the day they would pray and ask God, who do you want us to be king? Not, not once did they pause. The people of God, not one time, paused to say, who should lead us, oh God? Who, who should be the king? They, they had made idols and they created and followed after Baals and served other gods. They had become completely dependent on their, themselves. There was no turning to God in prayer. If you wonder how far maybe you've been deceived and indwelling sin or sin and far, maybe how far you've drifted, even though you're doing all the things, you're participating in all the worship, you're doing all those things, but one of the ways you can know is how much you're turning to God in prayer. Tim Chester said this, there is no better measure of an individual's reliance on God than their commitment to pray. A half-hearted commitment to prayer is a sign that we think our role matters more than God's role. We have become self-reliant on human help. This is what had happened to the people of God. They had become deceived by sin and unbelievably reliant on themselves. And God says, judgment will come. And it had left them arrogant. At the end of chapter 8, verse 14, says, For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So for, for, as far as they were concerned, everything actually looked very good. They had forgotten God. They didn't need God. They were just kind of going through the motions. But sin had deceived them so much. It had twisted the reality. It had diluted truth. They thought they were secure, and it looked that way. I mean, they're building palaces, the economy's good, they've got jobs, they've got cars, they've got houses, they've got plans for their future, they've got things on back order. I mean, it looks really good, but it's not. That's why God says in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil day arises. The reality is, because of eternity, remembering your Creator in the days of your youth, no matter what age you are right now, you're still in your youth. Because you will spend eternity somewhere. And you will stand and give an account before God of your life and how you dealt with sin. And over and over and over again in Scripture, it's an alarm and alert against sin. Self-reliance, doing it your own way. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it 
labor in vain. The nation of Israel had been deceived, and that's what sin does. It's what sin wants to do in your life. It wants to deceive you. It wants to dilute the truth that you know and say, you know what, just keep going your way. It'll be okay. God will let you go by. It doesn't really matter that much. Sin always deceives you. And then sin depletes you. It says in verse 9, Rejoice not, O Israel, exalt not like the peoples. They had this big celebrations, and they would have these great um, parties after the harvest season. And God says, and that's what they've been doing. That's what they were told to do. They had followed what God said. And God sees all this. He sees their wayward hearts. And he says, Stop partying. Stop, don't have parades for sin. Don't have pride in your rejection against God. Rejoice not, O Israel. Exalt not like the people. The party's over. Judgment's coming because of your sin. This is what sin will do. And then he gives a whole list in chapter 9 of how sin destroys people, how sin can destroy and wants to destroy us. Sin depletes you. In verses 3 through 6, sin depletes you in your spiritual depth. The people didn't realize this. Verse 6, 3 of chapter 9 says, They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourner's bread to them. All who eat it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord. They, they had lost their spiritual depth. They thought they could just keep doing what they were doing, but their sin had so depleted them that their practices of worship meant nothing, that they had lost their depth. Have you wondered, maybe, maybe you've wondered, why is it when I read the Bible, it just doesn't speak to me like it used to? Well, I'm not getting anything out of when I gather with people for worship. Why does it just kind of feel like I'm going through the motions? Why do I feel bored with God? Why do I feel bored with Scripture? It could be that you have let sin deceive you in some area of your life and it has just depleted you. And your ability for spiritual death, depth has been depleted. That's what sin does. It depletes our spiritual depth. It halts growth. It also depletes spiritual discernment. It says in verse 7 of chapter 9, the days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. And their response to that is, the prophet's a fool. The man of the spirit is mad. They, they looked at Hosea and they said, he's talking about following God, getting our hearts right with God, doing what God asks us to do, walking in obedience with him. He is a lunatic. We're not going to listen to his prophecies. Everything's fine. Can't he see we're building things? I mean, my, my 401k is great. Things are wonderful around Israel. He is crazy for telling us judgment's coming. But they, they've lost their ability to have true spiritual discernment. It's been depleted. Verse 8 says, The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God, yet a follower's snare is on his ways and, hate, and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the day of Gibeah. He will remember their, iniqui their iniquity and he will punish their sins. They, that sin depletes you and your ability to have spiritual 
discernment, and then sin depletes you in your ability to have spiritual delight. In all these judgments, God's coming to the people and saying, this is what's going to happen because of your sin. Judgment's coming. And he's laying it out for them. He's, he's, he's making his case. But even in the midst of all of that, God and his unbelievable grace, he, he has this delight in his people. It says in verse 10, like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit of the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. God has great delight in his people. He wants to enjoy his people. He loves his children. And he reflects back and when, when Israel was first called and they brought him into the wilderness. And it was like, it was like fresh grapes, he says. But when sin starts to deplete you and you lose your ability to have better spiritual depth, you start losing your spiritual discernment, you lose. And sin will deplete your delight in God. You, you will not be able to see how good God is. And the joy you used to have in God, it just seems miles away because sin has depleted that and it wants to deplete that. And God says, but the people came to Baal poor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became de testable like the things that they love sin depletes you and then it creates this great distance between you and the holy spirit verse 17 of chapter 9 says my god will reject them because they have not listened to him they shall be wanderers among the nations that's what it says in the new testament first thessalonians don't quench the holy spirit this is what sin wants to do it wants to just to deplete your life and to deplete you spiritually. And this is where the people of God were. They've been deceived by sin. They've been depleted by sin. But they're guilty of that sin. But the good news is sin does not have to dominate you. That's the hope of the gospel. Sin does not have to dominate you. He closes chapter 9. And then verse chapter 10, he says this. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more, has, the more his fruits increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. Sin does not have to dominate you, but sin is a great distraction, filled with great distraction. You know what pulled the people of God away from God? They were arrogant, they were self-reliant, and they rationalized sin. In all of those things, things went really well for them for a while. They were building buildings, they were building cities, they had some peace and success for a while. But all this arrogance, all this success pulled them even farther away from God. And God says, now they must bear their guilt. They're guilty before God. What pulled them away from God was their stuff, their possessions. They thought they knew better than God. They, 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 they forgot who it was who was the giver of good gifts to them. They thought it was them. They were very arrogant. I mean, they're like this luxuriant, luxuriant vine. But God says they are nothing. They're far from me. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 13 and reminds us that possessions can pull your heart away from God. Pro prosperity can be a prison 
for you spiritually. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 22, as for what was sown, he was giving the parable of the seeds. He goes, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfaithful. If God has blessed you financially, it's not because of you. It's because of God's goodness to you. And the blessing that you've gotten from God could very well be the thing that Satan is trying to use to to deceive you and to defile you and to deplete you. And Jesus warned about it. And in a Midwest culture where you can work hard and be rewarded for it, we need to be very careful that we're not being depleted by the things that God actually wants us to bless us for. And sin does not want to dominate you. But God says in verse 8 that they're going to have to pay for that. They they must now bear their guilt. Verse 8 says, Judgment is coming. The high places of On, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. This is what... They were going to say, which is exactly what Jesus said in Luke chapter 23 when he's riding in Jerusalem. And he said, this is what the people are going to say. Judgment is going to come. And what they are going to say is, ask the mountains to fall and cover us. He quotes Hosea in Revelation chapter 6 as well. Judgment is coming because the people of God, they had sown to the wind and they got nothing. But what they were going to reap is the whirlwind. Sin has to be dealt with. And this was their call. But sin doesn't have to be, doesn't have to dominate your life. This is why it says that all that was written in the Old Testament was written for an encouragement and our hope. There is a decision that has to be made. In verse 12 of chapter 10 10 says, So for yourselves, for you in 2022, so for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Why is that possible? It's possible that we can seek righteousness now because we know one who was righteous. Jesus came, saw our sin. And the great news of the gospel is that if you say this morning, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against God. I know I'm going against God. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus died for sinners. He went to the cross for sinners. Hiding from sin is not what we need. Exposing ourselves to Jesus is what we need because Jesus says the sinners are the ones who can come to me. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. So we can sow to ourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love that's found in Jesus. The question is, that someone posed to me this week, do you want the world which changes and will pass away to influence your heart? Or do you want the one who lives forever and is the way, the truth, and the life to influence your heart and mind? That's the decision. And how you decide on that decision will matter for eternity. Or you will either spend eternity with Christ or you spend eternity separated from God forever in judgment. But even for Christians, for the people of God, what he says to do is dig up 
and break up the fallow ground. In verse 12, the fallow ground is they would, they would leave fields unplanted and they'd let them rest for a while. And as they let those fields rest, then weeds would start growing up. And then when it came back for the next year or two to plant again, they would have to go in and break up the hard ground, get rid of the weeds so that it could be useful and fruitful again. So it says, so sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. How do you go about breaking up the hard ground of your heart. I mean, how do you go about breaking up spiritual fallow ground? The first thing you do is you, you heed the warning. You look at your own life, you see the people of Israel, and you say, that's just not about the people of Israel. That's about me. Sin wants to deceive me. Sin wants to deplete me. Sin wants to dominate me. But there is a, and there's judgment for that. Heed the warning. Don't be like the person standing in the middle of the crowd not moving. Heed the warning with your own heart and then honestly apply the warning. Say, yeah, that, that's me. I am prone to wander. Lord, I feel I'm prone to leave the God I love. That, that's me. This is me. If the, if the fallow ground of my heart does not get broke up, this is me and judgment will come. Do you, you see that in your own life? Do you see that reality constantly in your own life? You, you hear the warning, and you honestly go after applying the warning, and you, you ask for help. We have a God who loves sinners. Jesus came to rescue sinners, not people who are like, oh, I'm going to try to cover this up. I can be self-reliant. I, I, I can do this. God says, no, just come to me in faith like a little child, believing, asking for help. I know all about you. I created you. Come to him, ask for help. Psalm 119 says, open my eyes, pray. Open my eyes that I behold wondrous things from your word. It's so much easier with help. But it's hard to get started without help. We, we, we can say, I, I know that there's a sin in my life that is hardening me against God, but I'm too afraid to tell anybody about it. So we can self-reliantly try to cover it and deal with it, but maybe you need to ask for help. That's what helps us get started. I was up Friday at Miss Pearl's with Nick Hershey and Jerry Ladsky, and we had to break up and destroy this room. We had to, they're getting ready to remodel it, so we had to take the walls off. We had to bust up this, the tile on the floor. And I knew I was going there for work, but once I started doing it, it felt like work. And I'm like, I don't know if I, do I, is there anything else I can do? And, but Nick was there. And so we started working. And with somebody else helping together, we busted the floor up, we ripped the walls down, and it's ready to be remodeled. Sometimes you just need help. You have some sin that you know is holding you back. Every lie from Satan's going to come. Don't say nothing about it. Don't go to Jesus. You can do it. You can do it. But the way you break up your fallow ground is saying, I need some help. Ask God to help you. And then find someone who you can trust and believe, who's a follower of Jesus, and say, help me. And together, it can get be broken up. Then humble yourself 
before God. He said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, how you want me to do it. D.L. Moody said, the world has yet to see, in the 1800s, he said, the world is yet to see what God will do with a man or woman fully consecrated to him. And the world is still yet to see. What if a person said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break up my hard heart constantly and regularly through repentance and faith so that righteousness can reign in. The world is yet to see a person who's fully done that what God can do with him. But it could be you. It could be our church. Jesus loves sinners. And he, he, the people of Israel didn't get it, though. If you read the rest of chapter 10, he says this is what's going to happen. They did not do what God asked them to do, and judgment came. And judgment will come, but through the grace of Jesus, who loves sinners, he says, I have come for you. And 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this morning he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened with sin, come and I will give you rest. Sin wants to deplete you. It wants to deceive you. And it wants to dominate you. And judgment will come. But Jesus says, I've come for sinners. So if you're a sinner here this morning, Jesus says, come to me. I will forgive you. I will give you rest. Break up your hard, fallow ground, and trust in me. Let's pray.